Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Picking up where we left off, as always, Sennacherib sets his sights on Jerusalem at this point and sends his official spokesman to Hezekiah to demand his surrender, and in that process to talk a lot of trash in the people's hearing. Aramaic is the language of diplomacy of the day, and when they meet the Assyrian delegation, Hezekiah's representatives ask to have this official chat in Aramaic. Instead, the Assyrian spokesman, surprisingly fluent in the local Hebrew vernacular, insists on speaking quite loudly in the tongue of all the many eavesdroppers. They meet in broad daylight just outside the city walls, atop which a watching crowd is listening to the exchange. You'll recall we have three accounts running right now. You can find this in 2 Kings 18.17, 2 Chronicles 32.1, and Isaiah 36. A serious senior official launches into a speech meant to demoralize the people of Jerusalem. He knows that the guys on the wall can hear him, that by lunchtime they'll have told his words to everyone else in town who won't fit on the wall right now, and that they will all hear and fear. He questions Hezekiah's confidence in the face of so staggering an enemy as Assyria, with the clear assumption that there is not enough strength of any kind left in Judah's withering army to withstand the ruthless Assyrian war machine. The logical and ultimately safest thing to do would be to surrender which Hezekiah clearly is not considering as he braces himself for the coming conflict. If Hezekiah's forces are so clearly outnumbered, uh, this fellow, his official Assyrian title is the Rabshakeh. Think of him as the Secretary of State. He basically says, I'll bet that if I gave you 2,000 horses, you couldn't even find riders for them. That's 2 Kings 18.23 and Isaiah 36.8. If Hezekiah's forces are so clearly outnumbered, he must be counting on help from somewhere else. If Hezekiah has made some pact with Egypt and hopes they will swoop up to defend him, says the Assyrian, then Hezekiah's hoping in a broken and useless reed that's stuck down there in the Egyptian marshes. Then the Rabshakeh really mixes his metaphors. First, he tells Judah that he's on a mission from God announcing that Yahweh told me to destroy you. Um, no. Assyria, you weren't listening closely, like a child who only hears half their parents' sentences. You stopped listening after you heard the part you liked and didn't hear the rest. I gave you license to consequence the North, but you're far exceeding the limits we set. For a quick refresher on this dynamic and an embedded prophecy concerning the present episode, go back and read Isaiah 10, 5-19. Judah is not on a serious list, and I am already pretty chapped about their taking Lachish without my permission. 
However, after claiming our approval of Assyria's aggression, then this fellow switches similes and tells Judah there's no point in trusting in me anyhow, since I am just like all the other gods that were unable to prevent Assyria from victoriously rolling over all their sponsor nations. In Assyria's eyes, I am merely equal to all the stone and wooden statues they've come across in their campaigns. And the Rabshakeh tells my people that Hezekiah is misleading them by saying, Yahweh will deliver us, essentially saying that I haven't got it in me to stop the Assyrians even if I wanted to. As if. At this point, Hezekiah's three delegates tear their clothes at this final outrageous blasphemy by the Assyrian. This tearing of garments is a habitual action we've seen before, when there just are no words to express the depths of one's emotions, usually sorrow or disgust, or both. The Hebrews turn on their heels and pop back into Jerusalem without so much as a word of acknowledgement to the Rabshakeh. Well, Hezekiah has not been on the wall eavesdropping, so when he hears his trio's report, he joins them in ripping his clothes too, covers himself with sackcloth, and heads straight for my house but not before sending two from the team to Isaiah with a report and request for the prophet's prayers and advice. And if you're wondering what that sackcloth was, it's a garment made of very coarse, dark cloth worn by those in mourning so that one's exterior feels as miserable as one's interior. Isaiah politely hears the emissaries out in Isaiah 37, 5-7. We, of course, had heard every word already. Isaiah then tells them to relay a message to Hezekiah, which amounts to, don't panic. Yahweh will make sure Sennacherib hears something that makes him want to suddenly scoot back to Assyria, where the sword of death awaits him. This continued pattern on the part of prophets often sending messages to kings instead of delivering them personally speaks to the prophet's freestanding status in allegiance and service to us, and not the human king. And what do you know? Sennacherib, who's moved past the conquered Lachish to Libna, the next walled city on the way to Jerusalem, Sennacherib gets word that the king of Ethiopia, King Tirhaka, looks to be planning his own attack on Assyria in Sennacherib's absence. In case Hezekiah hasn't gained the same intelligence, Sennacherib doubles down on Judah's king with a written message repeating his boasts about having surpassed every other god he's ever come up against. And thus comes one of the greatest moments of Hezekiah's life, as he brings Sennacherib's diplomatic cable and spreads it out before me in the very temple Hezekiah himself reclaimed for its intended use, focused on me on the way. His noble prayer to me not only speaks of his wisdom and faith, but also of one of the long-standing purposes behind our relationship with Israel, that other nations may witness our glory in our faithfulness to our children. You know I'd like for you to read this. How could I say these things about it and have you skip it? Handily, 
It's in both 2 Kings 19, verse 14 and following, and Isaiah 37, verse 14, whichever is more convenient. 2 Kings 19, 14, or Isaiah 37, 14. Ready, go. Hezekiah is a realist, and even though he's straightened himself and his nation out and placed his trust in me, he also reminds us how much of Sennacherib's threats seem to be true. Assyria has trounced every nation they've met, which again includes the northern kingdom of Israel in covenantal consequences. Hezekiah knows those other countries were trusting in non-existent gods and that we are the only show in town, heaven, or earth. He thus knows more than any king on earth that I am his only hope right now. And before we respond to Hezekiah, let's look at a couple things about his prayer with a view towards your own prayer life. He's got a quick example here of structure, content, and attitude. Structurally, he starts by addressing me with respect and worship, then asks me to hear him out, then points out the predicament he's in, and then finally asks me to intervene. That respectful worship at the beginning includes points like me being enthroned above the cherubim, the only God, the maker of heaven and earth. His request to hear him out is thorough, asking me to bend my anthropomorphic ear towards him and open my eyes to these words of Sennacherib he's laid out so nicely before me to read. He then points out some very important issues at hand, including the dig that Sennacherib is not just mocking Hezekiah, he's mocking me big time. Hezekiah then builds his final case by reminding me that Assyria has in fact laid waste everyone else in its path, but that no other nation has a living God at their side, since I am the one and only. And finally, that if I save Jerusalem and thus Judah from Assyria's hand, all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you, Yahweh, are God alone. Second Kings 19.19, 19, Isaiah 37.20 Hezekiah's attitude is apparent both from the accounts of his actions for years before this as well as from his immediate behavior here. His first inclination upon receiving Sennacherib's diplomatic demands was not to call his military council together, but rather to head straight in to talk with me about it. Second, the tone of his address to me is that of respectful worship, not of petulant pouting. Lastly, his request is not merely self-seeking, as he also desires that nations see my glory in it all. Okay, so when you're praying, even if you're in a tight spot, Follow Hezekiah's example of approaching me with respect and worship. If he has time to begin with language that exalts and praises me, so do you. Whatever straits you find yourself in are undoubtedly less dire than Hezekiah's. Besides, and here's the biggest takeaway from all this, 
Hezekiah is not providing us with new information at any point here. However, by saying each of the things that follow, he is certain to the very core of his being that we do know about all of it, and he reminds himself of all of it in the process. This is not all just a psychological exercise, though, because the things you choose to say significantly impact the ultimate outcome and answer to your prayers. So start your prayer to me accordingly. Don't just launch into your problems, friend. Talk a bit to me about where and who I am first. Hezekiah says, I'm enthroned above the cherubim. Remember Isaiah seeing me enthroned among the seraphim. Though Hezekiah's reference is to my position at the intersection of heaven and earth on the mercy seat, above and between the cherubim on the lid of my ark in the core of my house. Say something that reminds you of our position of sovereign lordship over all things. Having, after all, made them all myself, Throw in a phrase of praise. Hallowed be your name is always nice. But try your own personal variations, too. We know who we are, but it's really, really good for you to remember just exactly to whom you're talking when you get started. Then, though, of course, we can hear you just fine, ask us to do so or ask us to turn our eyes toward you in the midst of all the other earthly action of the moment. Even if you don't hear a voice whisper, I am reading you five by five, you can continue in the assurance that we are. Uh, the five by five reference is a term employed in military communications to indicate the levels on a scale of one to five of signal strength, the first digit, and clarity, the second. A much funner way to say loud and clear, which actually stems from similar transmission routes itself. It's a far better device than, can you hear me now? The point is, I am not going to miss a thing. Then tell us everything you think we need to know while we are deciding what to do next. Like Hezekiah, tell us what's on the line for you and for us. Feel free to list all the reasons you're bringing this to us and be sure to include all the reasons you think should convince us to intervene on your behalf. And feel free to tell us how scared you are or how impossible things feel, like how no one on earth has withstood this bully yet well, that's all Sennacherib has become at this point, a big bully. But you know that I can whoop him. Then remind me, like Hezekiah does, how much of my grace and power the people around you will see if I step in like you're asking me to. Saying all of these things, building a case for intervention, as it were, is just what Hezekiah does. And if you follow his pattern you will know with just as much certainty as he knows that we know every detail you want us to know. That's a whole lot of knowing that's all good to know. Now, this isn't some kind of formula that's going to make me jump through your hoop-shaped prayer demands. Keep in mind, 
Although Hezekiah is definitely coming to me with a Yahweh please save my behind request, he has for a lengthy time before this devoted himself and his behind both to me and to walking on the way. This is far from the first time we have heard his voice lifted up to us. Not that we don't listen to newcomers, mind you, but you get the point. Hezekiah does have an advantage over you, though, in terms of his being a king of Judah and all. He's got the prince of prophets himself, Isaiah, providing him our verbal answers straight away in the form of prophecy dealing how we are going to answer Hezekiah's prayer. Then, because we say that's what will happen, it does, as a matter of course. And Hezekiah witnesses the truth of what Isaiah said as we answer with action. So hang in there, friend. Sometimes you'll miss that middle stage and just have to wait and witness our answer without instant assurance from a prophet in your ear. Though you can still gain a good deal of that in Tom as you wait. However, because of your position in the Abra plan, you have a significant advantage over Hezekiah in your contact with us. But that too will have to wait for another project. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.